0: I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The
1: podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past.
0: That's right. And if we ever ended the show, that would be divorced. Oh. (laughs) Just divorced.
1: Divorced?
0: Divorced thing.
1: So what are we doing today?
0: (laughs) I, I move my personal schedule around. Move something I've been meaning to talk about for a while up. Okay. And so we're going to talk about the 1968 Democratic National Convention right here in Chicago, Illinois.
1: Oh, boy.
0: Since uh, I'm, I'm already skipping some prerequisites for this course, we might as well get straight to it. Okay. All right. The presidential election of 1968 was pretty hotly contested. The, the nation was... In the the throes of the Vietnam War, President Johnson had won in a landslide in 1964, but that war had just tanked his approval ratings. Uh, Eugene McCarthy was convinced to run against him for the nomination on an anti-war platform starting in November of 1967. Robert Kennedy joined the race in March of 68, and almost immediately, uh, Johnson dropped out. Instead, he used his influence and and, uh, power within the Democratic Party to get support for his vice president, Hubert Humphrey, to sort of, you know, continue the the Johnson policies just without Johnson, who was sort of like radioactive to the public at the time. Yeah. Of course, Robert Kennedy was killed in June, leaving the 393 and a half delegates he had uh, uncommitted coming into the convention. George McGovern announced his candidacy 2 weeks before the convention hoping to get Kennedy's votes and sort of build a coalition, maybe make some deals here in Chicago, make something happen. Mm-hmm. Now you might say, "Wait, I was watching the election pretty close this year. 393, it's a pretty low number. Why why does that even matter?" Well, you see, only 13 states and the District of Columbia held primary elections Ooh. that year. Uh, most states had their delegates uh, chosen by state conventions of party leaders. And Humphrey uh, got all of his delegates from those states. He did not enter a single one of those 14 primaries. Oh. 80% of primary votes went to an one or another anti-war candidate
1: makes sense
0: uh that's that's where the people were like in those 13 states in dc where they actually asked people that's what the people said they wanted
1: yeah yeah
0: so anti-war and counterculture groups were planning to demonstrate at the convention way back when it was announced it would be in chicago well before uh johnson had even dropped out and even after he uh left the race they're like hey we're we made a commitment we're going to chicago anyway so let's talk about the two major groups involved. Okay. We've got the National Mobilization Committee to End the War in Vietnam.
1: That's a big name.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they went by the MOB.
1: I like it. I like the MOB.
0: They wanted to shorten it so bad that mobilization alone was still too long.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a big word.
0: So uh they served as an umbrella group for a wide variety of anti-war and, and other progressive groups and they organized uh, a lot of large marches make, and uh made a name for themselves that way. Their plan was to get the largest group of people possible and have two large mar- marches through the city, one of which would end at the convention site. Mm-hmm. Uh they were also going to get permits for uh uh Locations throughout the city for smaller demonstrations uh, uh, that each of their member groups would take charge of and be able to focus on their specific goals and tactics. The mob was really only a handful of people that knew a whole lot of other people's phone numbers. They they just did this sort of organization and coordination between groups. Okay. That was their job.
1: It was bringing people together. Yeah. People who all kind of have the same feelings, let's come together.
0: The same feelings on one thing.
1: It, yes, like, yes. We all agree about this, mm-hmm. so let's all come together for we're, this. We're
0: talking about Quakers, we're talking about radical anarchists. Yes. They can agree that there shouldn't be a war, but what they're going to do about it and what else they care about, huge, yes. huge spectrum, we, huge we variety. Got, we got
1: this one thing, bringing yeah. us together. <laughs>
0: Uh, the, the other really notable group uh, involved were the Yippies, the Youth <laughs> International Party.
1: Yippies. Yeah, that
0: name came first, then they turned it into a backronym, the Youth International Party.
1: It's supposed to go the other way.
0: No, they just thought yippie was a fun word. <laughs> now they, they were a counterculture group known for political theater and stunts. Uh, they were founded by the organizers of that effort to everyone join hands around the pentagons to levitate it and exercise the demons out. We're talking about those people.
1: <laughs> ah, yeah, those yippies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they they didn't see any benefit in, like, marching and demonstrating and voting.
1: But but trying to use an exorcism on a building, that.
0: What gets on the news? They, they were very media savvy. They... Yeah,
1: that's true. You'd be weird, it gets on the news.
0: Uh, they're plan was to show people watching that average folks had no power in the American political system and just show another way of organizing people. They just wanted to hang out in the park and be alternative and have these stunts to draw people so they would actually see them be alternative.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, So, things they announced leading up to the convention. They claimed they would dump LSD in the water supply.
1: They were gonna put the road in the water?
0: Yes, they were going to dump Lakeshore Drive into the (laughs) reservoir. They they were going to put lysergic uh, acid into the water supply. They'd be throwing nails down onto the streets from bridges to make them impassable and just shut down the whole city. They they claim they would be performing all these acts in order to provoke an overreaction, in -hmm. order to get the nation watching. Yeah. What they were actually trying to organize is a free music festival called the Festival of Life to be held in Lincoln Park. Oh, which is pretty cool. Sort of counterprogram what they considered a festival of death, the Democratic National Convention <laughs> of 1968. <laughs> All these people showed up to the city before the convention, so I'm using that as an excuse to go a little bit out of chronological order to talk about one of the Yippie stunts. Their nomination... Of their candidate, the Youth International Party candidate for president in 1968, Mm
1: -hmm. Pegasus. Pegasus.
0: A local pig they, one of their supporters bought from a farm in the suburbs. I
1: love Pegasus. Yeah. I want to know Pegasus. I'm just picturing like wattles with some wings. Pegasus
0: was a large, hefty pig.
1: No, it's a cute little pig. It's like... (laughs) It's like one of those little, like, house pigs with wings.
0: You could carry him in your arms, but he was sort of on the upper end of being able to carry him in your arms.
1: That's not huge. Not
0: huge, no. It's not
1: like he's, like, 400-pound pig.
0: So uh, this nomination rally was held in uh, what is now Daily Plaza uh, on August 23rd, right in front of the Picasso statue. Mm. So uh, if you're going to Chris Kindle Market... Local listeners, you you tread upon uh, the the grounds of Pegasus. History falls beneath your feet. He, he was announced with uh, slogans like, "If we can't have him in the White House, we can have him for breakfast."
1: No, Pegasus, don't don't eat Pegasus.
0: They nominate a president and he eats the people. We nominate a president and the people eat him.
1: No, don't eat Pegasus. Why? Why are they being mean to the poor pig?
0: They they demanded that he be taken seriously as a candidate and, and uh, brought to the White House for national security briefings and issued a Secret Service detail.
1: <laughs> oh, the little pig's got some Secret Service walking around. Well, I want, like, fan art for this. <laughs> if I could draw, I'd be making Pegasus fan art.
0: We all love Pegasus. Uh, Jerry Rubin, one of the founding yippies, uh, began to read Pigasus's acceptance speech on his behalf. Before he finished it, uh, he, the pig, and six others were arrested and charged with disorderly conduct.
1: What'd the pig do?
0: He made a mockery of democracy. He made a democracy.
1: Democracy is a mockery.
0: Oh, now who's a yippie? <laughs> we got a yippie over here. The, the people were released with a $25 fine. It is unknown what happened to Pegasus.
1: What? We don't know what happened to
0: him? We do not know for certain. The two most common stories are that one of the police officers had a big, big meal. No! Invited the whole neighborhood.
1: <laughs> that police officer!
0: The other uh, most likely story is that Pegasus was donated to the Anti-Cruelty Society.
1: I hope that's what happened.
0: There, there are no extant records for the fate of Pegasus.
1: How could you lead me down that path and then crush me? I was invested. I'm... I had of an emotional attachment to Pegasus, and you just told me he could be bacon.
0: Well, considering the lifespans of, of farm pigs... Pegasus is no longer with us no matter what happened.
1: I know, but I can hope that he lived a very long life on a nice farm, eating slop, and just sunbathing.
0: Darlin, how much do you enjoy bacon?
1: Don't you go there.
0: But in any case, there are all these threats of uh, psychedelic domestic terrorism and hundreds of thousands of, of long hairs descending on the city of Chicago. And Mayor Daley was not having any of that. He denied every permit for the gathering and demonstration, except for uh, one for the Grant Park bandshell on the Wednesday of the convention. Everything else was denied. Uh, the Festival of Life, in the end, only had one out-of-town band show up, MC5. And they, they had some performers who were there for other reasons, like uh, folk singer Phil Oakes, who was working for the McCarthy campaign. So he was, you know, in town. He called in the National Guard and the U.S. Army, who had about 23,000 people uh, uh, between them.
1: The Guard and the Army. How many people were at this festival?
0: About 10,000. Okay. So less than half the uh, combined number of uh, police and National Guard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I don't know. I was expecting it to be like, oh, 500 people attended or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they they were expecting... Like I guess say over a hundred thousand, but uh in reality they had ten and uh on the biggest day maybe fifteen. Okay. So let's talk about what happened down in the actual events. The the convention itself, delegates, nominations, speeches, live T V beaming to Walter Cronkite, and from there the homes of America. Okay. Uh, the convention was held August 26th to 29th at the International Amphitheater. That is, I think, 42nd-ish. It's right near the stockyards on the south side. Okay. So well outside the downtown area. It was surrounded by a steel and barbed wire fence, riot troops everywhere. Uh, and, of course, the the fence could not keep out the smell of the stockyards. <laughs> in this hot, humid August.
1: What a great place to pick.
0: It was hot enough that the uh, lights and elevators in the building were on the fritz, blinking out. And getting there was a bit of a pain, because taxi drivers were on strike that summer.
1: Ha! <laughs> ah, yeah, and it, that's not really... Uh,
0: it's it's not on the L.
1: It's... yeah, it's not a great uh, CTA accessible place.
0: So the, the biggest debate of the convention was over the party platform on the Vietnam War. What would being a Democrat in 1968 mean as far as the war goes? Would they add language supporting peace or supporting uh, uh, the continuation of President Johnson's policy? So uh, McCarthy's supporters and other anti-war delegates staged protests and marched through the hall. Uh, During the debate on the peace plank of the platform, the California and New York delegations began singing We Shall Overcome, (laughs) when Humphrey's language, which is to say the, the Johnson language, was approved with about 60% of the vote. Remember, when voters were asked, they they chose anti-war delegates 80% of the time. Yeah. Organizers seated these delegations far in the back. They cut their mics, but TV news reporters are there. Those cameras can swivel. They made sure people at home saw what was happening. Yeah. Now, uh, reporters inside the hall were assaulted by Chicago police, including uh, Mike Wallace, uh, most famous for 60 Minutes. There we uh, go. Edwin Newman and Dan Rather himself. Rather was live on TV trying to interview a delegate being thrown out and had this to say to Walter Cronkite
1: Walter, we tried to talk to the man and we got violently pushed out of the way. This is the kind of thing that has been going on outside the hall. This is the first time we've had it happen inside the hall. We, I'm sorry to be out of breath, but somebody belted me in the stomach during that. What happened is a Georgia Delicate, at least he had a Georgia Delicate sign on him, was being hauled out of the hall. We tried to talk to him to see why, who he was, what the situation was. And at that instant, the security people, well, as you can see, put me on the deck. I didn't do very well.
0: To which Walter Cronkite, the the most impartial, respected newsman of America, said, I think we've got a bunch of thugs here, Dan.
1: Mind you, I'm all right. It's all in a day's work.
0: Oh, Dan, rather. Uh, So Humphrey, of course, won the nomination on the very first ballot with almost three times the votes McCarthy had. Uh, There were, of course, some McGovern votes. There were uh, some Ted Kennedy votes in there. But... Humphrey just walked away with it. Uh, Senator Ribicoff gave McGovern's nomination speech and said, quote, with George McGovern as president of the United States, we wouldn't have Gestapo tactics in the streets of Chicago. Oh! At this point, Mayor Daley uh, stood up and shouted in anger. He wasn't miked. Uh, and people who work close with Daly insist he called Rubikov a, quote, faker. Uh, but people s- actually standing close to him spatially and uh, lip readers at home uh, could tell it was a, a F word that-, that we would have to quack on this show. Quacker. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that one. On the final day, in, in order to sort of counteract the- this uh, prevailing mood uh Daily had hundreds of we love you daily signs printed and <laughs> and staged a pro daily demonstration inside the convention hall
1: so he hired people yes yes he did and gave them out his own signs yes goodness
0: <laughs> if you've got it flaunt it and by it I mean absolute control over chicago politics
1: seems like something rom would do
0: <laughs> rom wishes
1: he wishes he was that cool. He knows he can't do it because they'd just be like, "Daily already did that. You can't do that.
0: <laughs> That's a story of what's going on inside the hall. But this episode is about what was going on outside. So those protesters that did show up, no matter how many permits were denied and, and how much fear was sown in your, your average Joes by, by these uh, statements, they, they showed up, they demonstrated, and they were clashing with police daily. Uh, like I said, 23,000 police and National Guardsmen were organized, 5,000 soldiers were mobilized and quartered in nearby military bases, but they were never called into the city. Okay. They, they just stayed in the, the local Air Force base and that naval base. Now, before being shipped out, around 100 of those soldiers uh, from Fort Hood, Texas, demonstrated and refused to be deployed. Uh, while they were supposed to be receiving, like, riot control training. Mm-hmm. Uh, 42 of those 100, all of whom happened to be black soldiers, were arrested. An estimated one in six of the protesters who showed was an undercover agent for the police, army, navy, or <sighs> FBI. My that God. number seems a little ridiculous to me.
1: That That's a lot.
0: Now, it makes sense if you think that... One in six would have been one in sixty uh, if the goal of attendance was met. So that's a little more realistic. Yeah. And also, this was this was the early days of uh, Hoover's COINTELPRO program of, of infiltrating these leftist groups. This was. Senator McCarthy, the presidential nominee, wasn't the only McCarthy in town. The House Un-American Activities Committee was in full swing.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So while one in six sounds extreme, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was a lot lower than that, I can see why people throw that number around.
1: Yeah, like it makes sense when you look at it in comparison to other other numbers and where why it would be that.
0: So with this, I suppose, disappointing turnout, but I mean, 10,000 people is really nothing to sneeze at on its own, organizers uh, decided to take people into the streets and use their numbers more effectively. William Burroughs, Allen Ginsberg, again, Phil Oakes, two-thirds of Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, and plenty of other counterculture icons showed up to to give speeches, give performances, and, and just lend their support to the movement. Sunday, August 25th. The Festival of Life happens with, again, just MC5 and some local bands. Uh Police prevent the use of a flatbed truck as a mobile stage, hold speakers and whatnot, and so they move in and begin clubbing people.
1: Oh, yeah, because that's the next step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: I guess I would recommend out-of-town folks pull up a map of the city of Chicago. Look where the Back of the Yards neighborhood is. Look where Lincoln Park is. Yeah we are talking miles miles apart
1: yeah like you you can't walk from one to the other
0: you, you can I mean, you can you got to be dedicated though <laughs>
1: you're going to have to stop for lunch along the way <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so after curfew most people left the park a police line moved into the crowd those that remained pushing them out onto Clark Street and into the old town neighborhood Uh, Protesters, press, even people standing on their own front porches are beaten in uh, what might be the most violent day of the week. Monday, August 26th, opening day of the convention. About a thousand people defy the curfew and stay in Lincoln Park that night. Uh, This time, they build a barricade to keep police out. Uh, a police car edges through the line to break that barricade as people throw rocks at it to defend their barricade. This is the first night tear gas comes out. The violence goes into the streets again. Uh, more reporters are beaten on Monday than any other part of the week. And we're talking about people wearing press badges and, like, the old-fashioned hats with, like, the card that says press. Yeah. Like, th- these it's are It's the
1: not... 60s. This is what they dressed like.
0: These are not embedded undercover reporters. No. If Sunday isn't the most violent day, Monday is. Tuesday, August 27th, a group of 200 Quaker activists, a anti-war activist group from the Society of Friends, marches toward the amphitheater and grows to 1,000 before they're stopped about a half mile away. It's the closest any protest actually gets to the convention location. And it's almost completely unknown. Like, nobody remembers this march. Yeah. Uh, Except you do now. You got some secret info history, honey, listeners.
1: You've learned.
0: Uh, Meanwhile, the yippies were performing an unbirthday party for President Johnson. Oh, the yippies. That night, 2,000 people attempt to resist the Lincoln Park curfew and again are repulsed with clubs and tear gas. Many move south to Grant Park and the Hilton Hotel.
1: Was this curfew, like, the normal, like, the park closes at 11 curfew or, like, a legit, like, curfew curfew?
0: This was the park closes at 11. Okay. You you do not have a permit to stay. We are coming to get you.
1: Okay. I, I wasn't sure if there was, like, some special curfew that was put into place for this or if it was just operational hours are over.
0: Operational hours are over. We have tear gas. Okay. That doesn't happen most days of the week. 4,000 people are now gathering in front of the Hilton uh, on Michigan Avenue and in front of the TV cameras, you see, because that's where the press was staying. That's where delegates were staying. That's where the candidates were staying. The, The convention was being held down on the south side, but they kept people in the big fancy hotels in the loop. Mm-hmm. So in front of those TV cameras, the, this 4,000 holds a peaceful rally. Uh, the National Guard takes over that night from the Chicago PD and allows them to stay, and the rally remains peaceful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Wednesday, August 28th, uh, what is known now as the Battle of Michigan Avenue. This is the big day. Uh, yeah. If you'll remember uh, uh, a little while ago, Wednesday was the day the peace plank was being debated. So ten to 15,000 people gather at the Grant Park Bandshell at 11th and Columbus, where it was back then. It is now just part of Grant Park. Yeah. Uh, with Chicago police surrounding the crowd on all sides in, in a big, sparse semicircle. They weren't like shoulder to shoulder or anything. And the National Guard mounted with guns on the Field Museum roof. Just in case. Just in case. Just in case. You never know what might happen. These people listening to their darn folk music. So the rally hears over the radio, listening to the news, that the peace plank has been voted down, and the crowd is not happy about this. Uh, someone takes, uh, climbs a flagpole and takes down the American flag, uh, reportedly raises a shirt that is either colored red or... Or splattered red with blood. Oh. Yeah. I don't know where they got the blood. Because the action hasn't started yet. It might have been from Monday or Tuesday. Goodness. Or it might have just been a red shirt. Like, I don't know. But in any case, the police department is not happy with someone who seems almost about to disrespect a flag and rush into arrest. Uh, There was a small group of people uh, with this guy. And one of them was a confirmed FBI plant. Of course, the mobe forms a martial line uh to get in between the people and the police to to protect the people, protect like the 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 peace. The police break through the line. One organizer calls for a march down to the amphitheater. They are here to represent us. they're gonna hear our voices. Another organizer uh calls for people to break up into small groups, move through the loop, shut down intersections, occupy the city, yeah protesters try to leave the park but the national guard has the nearest bridges over the rail tracks shut down you see grant park is sort of split into halves and dividing those halves is like i say train tracks yeah so the the main streets have bridges over them that's the only way out from the eastern side of the park to the western side and the rest of the city
1: yeah because the lake's on the other side right can't go anywhere
0: So the nearest two bridges are locked down with uh, thirty caliber machine guns and grenade launchers in the hands of the National Guard.
1: Oh, that's a great idea!
0: So they they don't take that way. Uh, They they go another block farther, find the Jackson Bridge is open. Of course, they get stopped again because the police have been walking alongside on the other side, paralleling them. And uh, Deputy Police Superintendent James Rochford orders the police to clear the streets. My first question, if I had a time machine and the ear of Deputy Police Superintendent James Rochford, to where? Yeah. Where shall they go? Yeah. There's 15,000 people here.
1: Yeah. And you're only letting them cross at this one bridge. It's going to take a while for them to get out of there.
0: The the end of the day at Taste of Chicago takes a while.
1: Oh, Lollapalooza. (laughs) It's terrible. Can't get anywhere.
0: So now there's a confrontation and a clash happening in the loop where, once again, reporters with TV cameras are stationed. Reporters at the Hilton turn their cameras on the violence that has been happening every night, but it's the first time it's being seen in black and white, live, nationwide. Some press are beaten while giving their live reports.
1: Do these people beating them realize there's a camera on?
0: There are cases where police would, when they saw a reporter being beaten. So yeah, they might have known. People
1: are viewing you doing this.
0: You're asking if they had, like, PR in mind? Were they worried about the optics? Uh,
1: Apparently not.
0: For a a large segment of America, beating hippies bloody is is a a thumbs up.
1: (sighs) Yeah, there is that.
0: So while people out in the park were listening to the news on the radio, so are delegates in the hall. They're watching, they're listening— and so now we, uh, our timelines align, and this is where Rybikov's Gestapo tactics remark comes out.
1: Mm-hmm. Makes sense.
0: Yeah, so, so now we've, we've converged these parallel stories. Uh, after the convention closes for the day, 500 anti-war delegates march from the amphitheater all the way to the park and join the protesters there. And, and by then, the police have been relieved by the National Guard once more and the protesters are allowed to stay in Grant Park for the night again, and violence subsides. In the meantime, this seventeen minutes of of terror, with tear gas being fired at where the people are, which is in the streets, mm-hmm. uh it's worked the the tear gas has worked its way into the Hilton, and as sort of a funny story, Hubert Humphrey uh in his shower got irritated by the gas. Gas doesn't care if you're pro or anti-war, if you've got a room or if you're on the streets. Yeah. But it, again, makes me wonder, what about all the people living in Old Town, Sunday and Monday? Yeah. They, they don't get their uh, gas in the shower stories remembered as a cute anecdote. They just had to live with it.
1: Yeah. And he was in a hotel. like Yeah, the gas going he got into to their go home. Homes, though. like, it would move into their homes a lot easier than it would the hotel. Yeah. Just think about how much worse it would have been for them.
0: So that brings us to Thursday, the final day of the events. Senator McCarthy speaks to the gathering in Grant Park, a, a lot of people there who had been, you know, canvassing for him or at least would have if they could. Uh, uh actually in the early primaries there was a movement for anti-war youth to to cut their hair and shave their beards. They called it getting clean for Gene. <laughs> because he's eugene mccarthy yeah yeah when you're knocking on doors they don't take you seriously if you're like in a tunic with a flower garland
1: well they're dumb
0: (laughs) i know you love to wear tunics with flower garlands dear
1: i don't really wear flower garlands but flowers are nice
0: (laughs) so those those anti-war delegates try to lead a march again now on the final day of convention but they get their share of, of gas Uh, Over the week, there are a total of 668 arrests made. Uh, Hospitals treating protesters report 111 (laughs) protest-related patients, 45 of them on Wednesday alone. Now, doctors and medical volunteers from the Medical Committee for Human Rights estimate over 1,000 people were treated on the streets throughout the week. 192 officers were reported as injured, with 49 of them treated in hospitals.
1: I don't know what to say.
0: Well, let's take a break while we think of some things. (laughs) Okay. So back. Yeah. Feel better. No. Okay.
1: Pegasus is dead, and and they're just beating up hippies, and...
0: Hey, the hippies got a few shots in. They threw rocks at a cop car.
1: Still?
0: Still, yeah.
1: <laughs> things aren't great. Things are not great.
0: Everybody agreed. So then came time to figure out why that is, and what happened, and what to do about it. So there were some investigations launched. Good. So, like we mentioned, uh, not only was Eugene McCarthy in the scene, but so was Joseph McCarthy. The House Un-American Activities Committee held hearings on whether the protests were an act of communist agents undermining democracy. <gasps> that went from October to December of that year.
1: That committee just really wants to stay in business.
0: You, you got to play the hits, you know, or else people aren't going to come to the shows. There was a official report... Commissioned, which uh, was known as the Walker Report, named after the person responsible for putting it together, but actually titled Rights in Conflict. Uh, On its release, it called the events, quote, a police riot. Now, how did they come to this uh, uh, conclusion? Well, they had 20,000 pages of statements from 3,437 eyewitnesses and participants. Uh, they scrubbed through 180 hours of film and over 12,000 still photographs. So... I thi- a lot of evidence. I think it's worth saying the Walker report was thoroughly researched. Yeah. So the question is, what do we mean by a police riot? I got... A fair number of my facts, including the timeline we went through Uh from uh, a website called Chicago68.com. And uh, the the way they uh, define police riot as presented in the Walker report is...
1: Minority of the Chicago police lost control of themselves under provocation by protesters and used excessive and indiscriminate force against those who provoked them but riot is simply the wrong description individual acts of spontaneous violence by the police or a spasm of police mob violence is not what happened over five successive days and nights in lincoln park and its nearby streets and in grant park and the nearby chicago loop protesters news reporters photographers and bystanders were clubbed shoved and hit by police this is simply two methodical to be characterized as a riot undoubtedly some police actions were carried out with an excess of adrenaline-fueled zeal but the police by and large must have been acting in accord with the wishes of their commanding officers and the mayor of the city of chicago the same thing happened each day for five days if mayor daly and the police brass wanted a different kind of behavior from the police they would have ordered it so and disciplined officers who disobeyed orders plus when the national guard was brought in to relieve the police the violence subsided so there you go yeah
0: i i was reading this in my research and like when i got to oh you can't call that a riot i sort of rolled my eyes and then the next part is like it was way worse than that <laughs> like oh i okay oh,
1: right riots too uh <laughs> too nice yeah. a word
0: of course when this report came out mayor daly was again none too pleased he he vociferously defended the police department's behavior as he had been for months uh and he gave them a pay raise
1: this just seems familiar
0: (laughs) yeah just i was wondering whether this uh one would come off a bit too much like a rerun so now we get to the part where they have a trial.
1: I mean, I wasn't actually talking about past episodes. Oh, okay. I'm talking about, like, police cover-ups in Chicago and, like... Yeah? Brushing off, like, police brutality cases here.
0: But, hey, we voted out the county prosecutor. Maybe a little bit might change a tiny amount. So, eight activists were charged with conspiracy and crossing state lines to incite a riot. Well, actually... Eight were charged with conspiracy. Six were charged with crossing state lines to incite a riot. The other two were Illinois residents.
1: Crossing state lines to incite a riot just sounds like, oh, I stepped across the line. I don't know. That's just – that's a lot of dedication.
0: Yeah, seems well, like they're
1: brushing it they, off. They had
0: to get on a flight. That was so <laughs> dedicated.
1: Charging someone with that, though, just seems like, oh, you stepped across this line right here.
0: It was a provision, actually, of the 1968 Civil Rights Act, which was mostly about housing discrimination. But there were other elements to it to sort of uh, strike back against the perceived wave of social unrest. Well, I say perceived, but there were a lot of riots in the late 60s. That cannot be denied. Uh, So let's meet the defendants. Mm Mm-hmm. We have Abby Hoffman, one of the founding yippies, probably the most famous of them, uh, author of Steal This Book.
1: Abby Hoffman died for our sins?
0: Yeah. Theater festival? That's the guy. Same Abby Hoffman.
1: Oh, it's a dude? I always thought it was a lady.
0: Uh, Abby is a man's name in this case, yes.
1: I really always thought it was a lady. Um, That just kind of blows my mind on this theater festival.
0: (laughs) Uh, Jerry Rubin, another founding yippie. You remember he was the one who was giving Pegasus's, uh, nomination speech. He was questioned along with Abby about this during the House Un-American Activities Committee investigation, where he blew bubbles on the witness stand. Yes. Uh, later in life, he, uh, became a multimillionaire investing in Apple computers. <laughs> Uh David Dellinger, who was chairman of the MOBE at the time. He was sort of the elder statesman of the defendants at fifty-two years of age at the time. Uh Tom Hayden, who was co-founder of Students for a Democratic Society, one of the biggest activist groups in the mid-sixties before they splintered and went their own way. And he wrote the Port Huron statement, their, their big manifesto. Later, he would marry and divorce Jane Fonda.
1: Where's Jane Fonda? We
0: found her. She's with Tom Hayden.
1: <laughs> We've answered your question, Gex. Uh,
0: Rennie Davis, who is a member of SDS and the MOBE, he was the local organizer and became a venture capitalist. Oh. Yeah. Then there's, uh, John Froines, a chemist. Uh, he was charged with. Producing incendiary devices is the name of the charge, but really, he was on trial for making stink bombs.
1: <laughs> he, he's like our, our friend in the other episode.
0: He's, yes. He's stinkyling. Yeah. Lee Weiner, uh, he spent most of his time uh, during the trial reading sci-fi paperbacks uh, rather than attending defense strategy meetings, because he figured nothing they do is going to count in this court anyhow. Might as well keep up with the, the pulps. Uh, he mostly attended court to correct the pronunciation of his name. <laughs> so, like, if you read the transcript, there's a lot of Mister Weiner, Weiner. It's Weiner being shouted from the back.
1: Weaselton, Wesselton. It's Wesselton. Yeah. Yes.
0: But with stink bombs.
1: With stink bombs.
0: And the eighth member of the Chicago Seven. Yes, we'll get to that. <laughs> was Bobby Seale, a co-founder of the Black Panther Party. Uh, He did no advanced planning, which sort of throws the conspiracy charge into question. (laughs) He was invited as a fill-in speaker. Another notable uh, Black Panther organizer was going to give some speeches during the big Wednesday rally, but that fell through, so they got Bobby Seale on the phone. He came instead. Uh, He only spent about 48 hours in Chicago that week.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. But he's under trial.
0: Mm-hmm. For conspiracy.
1: For conspiracy. 48 I mean, hours.
0: He definitely did cross state lines. Whether it was with intent to start a riot, that is the court's decision. So uh, the Justice Department wasn't originally interested in prosecuting the protest leaders. Uh, the Attorney General was a lot more inclined to charge the police. But Mayor Daly got a favor from a federal judge who was a friend of his, William Campbell, who formed a grand jury uh, who delivered some indictments. But then uh, Richard Nixon was president with a new attorney general who went ahead with those charges. Oh, If you wait long enough, anything could happen. Now, the, the pool from which the jury was selected was overwhelmingly white and middle-aged. A, a reporter compared it to a, a local bowling league, Uh, out on a Sunday afternoon.
1: Great!
0: (laughs) The defense was not given the right to screen jurors for bias. Is
1: that legal?
0: We'll get to that. One of the selected jurors that made it onto the jury uh, said that demonstrators, quote, should have been shot down by the police.
1: Oh, you're not allowed to think that and be on the jury.
0: You'd think. You'd think. So, Bobby Seale, he had his own lawyer. Uh, Everybody else had this pair of lawyers they were fine with. Seal's like, no, 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 I want my guy, which is his legal right. But his guy was having gallbladder surgery, and so Seal moved to postpone until his lawyer was able to lawyer, and the judge refused. So Seal said, all right, I choose to represent myself because I'm not with these guys, and so I'm not going to be with their lawyer. The judge refused. Uh, so, Seal argued that these decisions were illegal, correct, and yeah. racist, probably. Uh, judge Hoffman ordered Seal to be bound, gagged, and chained to his chair whenever he was in the courtroom. Uh, what? Yeah, I mean, Seal had a lot of outbursts. He had no respect for the judge.
1: Well, this judge sounds like an asshole. Yeah. A- so. <laughs>
0: there you go. There are, uh, like, courtroom sketch artist drawings of what happened in court today. And so here's someone giving testimony while over here, here's Bobby Seal with his, his mouth gagged and chained to a chair. After several days like that, uh, Seal was sentenced to four years for contempt of court and then had his case severed from the other defendants. That's why they're known as the Chicago 7, uh-huh. because Seal started but did not finish the trial with them. So the defendants used the trial as a chance to put focus on the war, and the yippies in, in the group had the whole country watching their stunts. So one day, Hoffman and Ruben walk in wearing judges' robes. The judge orders them to take them off, and beneath the robes are Chicago Police Department uniforms. <laughs> Makes you think, doesn't it? Uh, one day, they brought in a birthday cake. Abby Hoffman was blowing kisses to the jury. One day, they put a Viet Cong flag on the defense table, which is great in night. 1970. (laughs) Yeah. That's gonna. That makes a statement. They had testimony from Pete Seeger. Uh, Phil Oakes came back to talk about him. He was actually the guy who bought Pegasus from the farmer. His testimony was mostly about Pegasus. (laughs) I really like Phil Oakes. He's, of all the uh, protest folk singers, he is perhaps the most interesting, certainly has the best sense of humor. I, I like the guy. You
1: made Pegasus happen. You he made He's Pegasus happen.
0: Of course, they did have more conventional arguments to to pose in their own defense. Abby Hoffman was one of two of the seven to actually be brought up to the stand to uh, testify. And he said, conspiracy? Hell, we couldn't agree on lunch. <laughs> uh, one of their big points was like uh, talking about how hard it is for left-leaning people to coordinate And agree. (laughs) Because everybody's got their own thing. man. As part of Hayden's closing uh, uh, statement, he said, We would hardly have been notorious characters if they left us alone on the streets of Chicago. We became the anarchists, the masterminds, and the geniuses of a conspiracy to overthrow the government. We were invented. So after a five-month trial, Freunds and Weiner were acquitted of all charges. The other five are found guilty of crossing state lines to incite a riot. Nobody was found guilty of conspiracy. So at least there's that.
1: I I guess.
0: (laughs) Now, in addition to those charges, each defendant and both of their lawyers were sentenced to between two and four years for contempt of court.
1: Their lawyers? too. Their
0: lawyers. Yeah, one of the lawyers got a four-year sentence. Cumulative. Like, okay, it's... Months for this, it's two months for that. but but ba through the course of the trial, he wound up with four years for contempt of court. Goodness. Uh, so the Court of Appeals overturned the inciting a riot charges based on, you guessed it, improper jury Thank procedure. God! And the contempt sentences for being too severe to be decided without a jury. The government did not choose to re-prosecute the uh, criminal charges and while some of the contempt charges stood up uh, uh again they did not impose a sentence so none of the seven served any jail time for any of this however seal did serve his four years for what? contempt what there you go what he was severed from the case that appeal doesn't count for him
1: but he had like yeah he he's screwed
0: bobby seal was screwed At least he wasn't assassinated by the FBI. As far as uh, Black Panther founders, he got off fine.
1: There's that.
0: There's that. So now let's talk a little about the legacy of 1968 in Chicago. Uh, Another investigation we we didn't talk about earlier was the McGovern-Fraser Commission. Now, this wasn't about the events of the uh, convention in the hall or out. This was something that was commissioned even earlier, in order to study what's going on with our delegate selection process. How can we make sure we pick candidates that the people who vote for us want to vote for? Mm -hmm. So uh, that commission passed down requirements for all states to sort of open up their delegate selection. Things like a maximum of 10% being chosen behind closed doors in state party conventions. Things like uh, making sure to, to reflect uh, gender and ethnic diversity of your state in your delegations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All of these recommendations, when they were passed on to the states, nearly every state decided, oh, you know what this means? We're going to hold primary elections now. So now every state, territory, and the District of Columbia has a, a primary or, in some cases, a caucus choosing... Uh, delegates for the party uh, convention. So that's why instead of 13 states, we have 50 in in primary season. Yeah, But of course, the the big headline is that Nixon went on to win the presidency. And the chaos of the convention often takes the blame. The the conventional wisdom is uh, when people were watching the Battle of uh, Michigan Avenue on Wednesday, a whole lot of America decided to vote for Nixon. Does your gut tell you that's accurate is the question.
1: I can see that Mm -hmm. being the case.
0: Another line to take is that there's no way the Democrats could have won anyway because their coalition fell apart. Johnson's civil rights policy had split the Democratic Party. uh, And George Wallace, as in segregation now, segregation forever, George Wallace, ran as a third party candidate. So everything was up in the air. Uh, If Humphrey and Wallace's votes were combined... So if Wallace didn't run and all those votes went to Humphrey, he would have gotten 422 electoral votes. Uh-huh. Now, 30 states, 30 out of 50, were won with less than 50% of the vote. That's what happens in a three-way election. Of course, if Wallace didn't run, who knows what would have happened to those voters. I'm sure some would have went to Humphrey. Yeah. I'm sure plenty would have went to Nixon. I'm sure a whole lot would have stayed home. Yeah. So th- this is a question for a time machine and not like Yeah. What happened happened? <laughs> so whatever the mix of causes that that uh led to Nixon winning. He did. You know, we elected a paranoid racist power-hungry war criminal. So what happened next?
1: Not great things.
0: Some not great things, <laughs> but also the EPA was founded. The American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from its official list of mental disorders. Oh, that's a good good thing. There was a nuclear arms control treaty with the USSR. That's
1: a good thing, too.
0: The Philadelphia Plan was enacted, the first federal affirmative action program. Also good. And despite the aforementioned war crimes, there was a de-escalation of involvement in Vietnam, and the war finally ended after his resignation during the Ford presidency. Mm -hmm. So how did that happen? How did these landmarks of progress happen under Richard Nixon, of all people?
1: I bet you're going to tell me.
0: I bet I'm going to tell you. That's the point of this episode. That's why I did it before talking about Mayor Daley. That's why I did it before some other things that I think could have provided context it happened because of dogged determination of the people. Constant pressure, constant organization, an active participatory democracy. The EPA was founded to prevent uh, leftists and liberals in Congress from passing even more stringent environmental protections. The Nuclear Arms Control Treaty was passed to get uh, the hippies to finally shut up and get off his back. Same with the Philadelphia plan. If you want... The government to do what you want, tell them, be loud, become ungovernable until it starts to work. That is why I talked about this today.
1: I feel like this is a suggestion to the
0: people. I feel like it is.
1: Feel feel like it's a little hint, hint, hint. <laughs> Things are going on. You have you have a say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The CIA will not save you.
1: No. <laughs>
0: they really won't The Electoral College was created to deny your voice They will not save you God, they won't Save yourselves So, darling, yeah. it's that time of the show Yeah What have you learned?
1: I need a cookie <gasps> Maybe some tea And a hole to hide in Well, no, I don't want to hide I need a protest Is there a protest going on right now? <laughs>
0: There are, to this day, umbrella organizations that organize things like that.
1: I know, I follow some of them on Facebook. All right. <laughs> I've learned a lot. Pegasus. I had no idea about Pegasus. I
0: really think you would be into the whole yippee thing.
1: The yippee some like my type of people. <laughs> In a weird way. Yeah. I would judge them and then I would applaud them.
0: Yeah. They all seem like who Columbia kids want to be when they grow up.
1: And none of them will.
0: No. <laughs> we love you, Columbia College Chicago, except when we hate you.
1: Yeah, yeah, art school kids. Yeah. What what they all envision.
0: But they were actually doing it.
1: They were doing it. And
0: getting beat in the face for it, and they kept doing it.
1: This is something I I know about, mm-hmm. and I know about the events. And some of the people in it. But the specifics, I did not know the specifics. Right. Um. So you definitely informed me more of that. And I learned I still get angry. And when I get angry, <laughs> I sit here quietly.
0: <laughs> when, when I do like activist episodes, we need to make this a video podcast so people can see just how much the you're-
1: rage, the rage that is coming from my forehead.
0: How much you're participating- <laughs> Silently.
1: With <laughs> very lots of brow action and <laughs> teeth grinding there's a
0: lot of brow action. In any case, I think it's time for a change of pace. Okay. And I think we're going to find it with your letters!
1: When the shadow of the tyrant falls and sweeps across the land, and when men would steal from others with a paper in their hands. When people search for answers and the answers never come. When their troubles would be over if they thought and fought as one. Oh, let me tell you, I'll be there.
0: You know what's better than two-thirds of Peter, Paul, and Mary? What? Listener letters! What? Also, all of Peter, Paul, and Mary. That would probably be better. As a prompt, leading into this episode, uh, I asked for... Uh, your your favorite holiday traditions, maybe some holiday memories to, to celebrate the season, because I knew this would be a bit of a downer. Noah wrote back, he's sharing a favorite uh, based on a true story movie, Searching for Bobby Fisher, a chess docudrama that is not about Bobby Fisher. It's uh, about the childhood of a international master who came several years later, uh, Joshua Waitzkin. One of Noah's favorite scenes is that uh, an early tournament where the parents get so invested and so rowdy uh, at you know a very stuffy uh, event that they get locked in the basement and they, they have a kid uh, run back and forth uh, to report the moves to them so they can sort of watch along. He also wants to tell us about a musical called Come From Away, showing in Toronto right now. And tickets are real hard to come by. It's very successful on its way to Broadway. It is about the residents of Gander, Newfoundland, who sheltered thousands of Americans who had to divert their mid-flight during September 11th, when all planes were immediately grounded. I'm just trying to imagine what sort of songs come out of a situation like that.
1: But, I mean, they did make a musical about, like, the Iroquois fire and also, like, the Chicago fire. They they
0: made a musical out of closing a shipyard. Thanks, Sting.
1: Oh, it was so bad! (laughs) I saw it for free and I wanted my money back! In
0: any case, thanks, Noah.
1: Darnell sent us an email. And Darnell's favorite movie based on a true story is Lincoln
0: oh man where was tom hanks in that lincoln's really good
1: uh darnell also says that uh a movie that he wished was based on real life would be the incredibles sadly that is not to be but there is a sequel coming so darnell I've- you and i would be like best friends
0: because <laughs> yeah, you both wish there were giant murder machines flying into city centers
1: Uh, Darnell did have some questions for us. He wanted to know uh, how we choose our topics and how we go about researching them, and how long does it take?
0: Uh, This also goes to speak to a later letter we're about to get to. Mm -hmm. But we pick our topics mostly from things we're already interested in, mostly interested in, passionate about, and know where to start.
1: Yeah, and those
0: three things add up to why there's a lot of Chicago, frankly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it's it's things we either know a lot about or vaguely know about like there's certain things i've picked where i was like oh th- i have the snippet of information and i really want to learn more about it right when we started i had a lot of episodes like i want to do this 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 and this and now i'm getting to the point where those are kind of all used up and so <laughs> i'm having to find new ones mm-hmm. new things and researching them it depends on the topic really yeah, yeah. um a lot of internet searching some books
0: I've never timed myself, but there's, like, the amount of time I spend researching, and then there's the amount of time I spend writing, and those are very different things.
1: There's been times where an episode's taken me a day, and then there's been a couple episodes that have literally taken me, like, all week.
0: We do this for free, folks.
1: So it all depends. It all depends on what what the episode is. Yeah. How easy it is to format it into an episode, I suppose. It's a big (laughs) thing. Thank you, Darnell. Thank you so much. Uh, Dave also sent us an email. Uh, favorite true story to film would be uh, Remember the Titans. I've seen that,
0: I think. Tom Hanks does an incredible Denzel Washington impression. <laughs> you can hardly tell it's not really Denzel Washington.
1: Tom Hanks isn't in everything. He should be. <laughs> it also took me to a second to remember that Remember the Titans is not Varsity Blues. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Varsity Blues a lot. Favorite Christmas tradition First one is Watching The Lord of the Rings Because it was originally released in December True. Uh Tends to like to watch them around the holidays And likes to watch the three extended editions Which is like 12 hours long Good for you That's that dedication
0: That's, de- that's day vacation Yes yeah. Day vacation
1: uh, Second would also be watching their favorite Christmas movie Die Hard
0: Where's the Die Hard sing-along? Thanks, Dave Caitlin writes in to say that Sound of Music was going to be one of her choices for the uh, favorite True Story movie uh, prompt. So, ha, gotcha. Oh, yeah. Gotcha covered. But she also shares some of her family Christmas traditions. Now, her family's pretty big, which means pretty big family parties, you know, 20 people in a house. And what they do is everybody uh, contributes some money into a pot and two people go out to Walmart to buy a bunch of cheap gifts and then think up a game for the whole family to play for the mystery gifts. So hide-and-seek, quiz show. One of her cousins stole things that each of them had, wrapped them, and then put them in this sort of auction. One of Caitlin's Xbox controllers went home with her aunt. (laughs) Her mother and aunt, no word if it's the same aunt, rewrote uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas to be a poem about them going on their annual camping trip and the mishaps that happened to them in years past. Your aunt sounds like my uh second oldest aunt. Yeah. That's a Peggy thing. <laughs> yeah. Now, all the gifts were put in the middle of the room, and whenever uh, your name was mentioned, you had to either run to the middle and grab a gift, or, if you already had one, exchange uh, it with someone else's. So it became this sort of interactive, confusing mosh pit of a Christmas party. And, of course, watching It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas Eve. Caitlin, your holiday sounds magical. Thank you.
1: And Christmas Eve pizza!
0: That is the most magical thing of all.
1: Alex and Faye sent us an email. They're uh, going a couple prompts back to favorite uh, sports moment.
0: Oorah. Local castle. They went
1: to a local castle and were at a 2020 cricket match, which I'm told is like a normal cricket match, but they have limited time to play. I'm glad you explained that. And so they had a limited amount it's of time. It's cricket
0: be- that's played in hindsight. <laughs>
1: you know, go hard or go home type. Uh, mentality. Ball went high and two players ran to catch it. However, their eyes were watching the ball and not each other and they ran into each other, collided. One player broke their jaw in three places and the other one required stitches.
0: Ow. (laughs) Yeah, that did not happen in game seven. Uh, You got me beat.
1: For Christmas tradition, fiance's family's tradition to do one pound presents.
0: Alex is is British. This is... Not a measure of weight. Yes, yes, of, like
1: a monetary <laughs> amount. Because that's such a small amount of money. It's usually something really stupid or weird or silly. And then they get handed out after Christmas dinner and they have a good laugh. That sounds pretty fun, too. Mm-hmm.
0: So thanks for your stories and thanks for the kind words, Alex and Fay. Andrew writes in to tell us that last year uh, he went to Salzburg on a trip. And his wife took him on the Sound of Music tour. Stops include the, quote, Von Trapp estate, which is to say the one where they filmed, uh, the Abbey, the Glass Gazebo, the church they were married in, and and other locations.
1: I have a question. Yeah? Was it the Glass Gazebo that they filmed the outside of or the inside of?
0: Well— Because there were two gazebos. Andrew, get back to us. (laughs) I <laughs> I'm I'm very curious. On that trip, uh, they also went to Nuremberg and the Museum of the Third Reich, built into an unfinished Nazi rally ground. The museum's focus was on the social circumstances of the Nazi rise to power, the political landscapes in Germany. The Germans don't deny or ignore the terrible things that happened in that time, and in fact encourage knowledge of it so that it may never happen again. Don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. If you don't listen to the Haymarket episode, I'm doomed to sort of repeat it. (laughs) (laughs) Cycles, man, cycles. Thanks, Andrew.
1: Claritic sent us an email. Their favorite holiday tradition. On Christmas, uh, they have a family barbecue. It always struck him as the most Australian holiday tradition to do because there's so few places where you can do that. Uh Uh-uh. My brother has totally been outside in Michigan winter in the snow using the grill on Christmas.
0: Well, yeah, but (laughs) he's a crazy person.
1: (laughs) We don't suggest people do it, but (laughs) it's possible. Thinking about this prompt, he realized... Something that's very uh, strange. In Australia, all Christmas decorations uh, use the same imagery as the US or UK, despite the fact that it is the middle of summer in Australia when Christmas happens.
0: And even in their winter, they don't have pine trees and holly and And all that.
1: Yeah, so Christmas decorations there are still about snow and and reindeer and...
0: All these non-Australian things. All
1: these... Things for cold weather. Claritik mentions that for some reason, Australia has never developed its own sense of seasonal imagery.
0: Cultural hegemony. That's what it is.
1: It is strange, though, in a way.
0: It's not strange in global (laughs) capitalism.
1: Anyways, thank you, Claritik. Thank
0: you so much. Tammy writes in... Tammy also saw uh, some of the filming locations in Salzburg back when she was in her late teens. Across the street from the filming house is the actual von Trapp house, which according to the tour guide was, quote, not as beautiful. Now, Tammy said to say that in an appropriate Austrian accent. But according to The Sound of Music, Austrians sound English. Actually, Tammy's sister lived near the Von Trapp family ski lodge in Vermont and visited in the winter. Yeah, We are now sharing with you third hand that Maria Von Trapp was a bit of an odd woman. Now, on to Christmas stories. Tammy comes from a predominantly German family, and uh, according to how often she corrects my pronunciation, uh, a very proud one at that. Uh, So Christmas involves a lot of traditional cookies and stolen and gingerbread. Christmas is not Christmas without stolen, and that is why she is often found covered in flour. Ian piggybacks on his mother's letter to bring up the the, uh, pickle ornament tradition, Yeah, which some say is a traditional German thing. Some say is a fake tradition that is just sold in gift shops that that, uh, has taken on a life of its own.
1: Some say it's Polish.
0: The way it works is a pickle is hung from the tree, and uh, when a child finds it in its sort of green-on-green camouflage, Mm -hmm. uh, they get a special gift. The the family still continues, though the children are pretty well grown with some odd gag gift. Thanks, Tammy.
1: We have a pickle on our tree.
0: We do. We yeah. also have uh, an eggplant. <laughs> and a pepper. So I don't know what a pepper means in emojis, but uh, uh, there you go.
1: Porin sent us an email. Uh, with some awesome pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, that We he, love
0: the pictures. Yeah,
1: he took them on a trip to the festival celebrating celebrating the blowing up of the bridge over the River Kwai. Uh, we're going to share those with you on Facebook, probably our Instagram as well, so you can view them as well. They're mm-hmm. very, very cool. Thank-
0: and, and where is that Facebook?
1: Uh, Facebook, you can find us at History Honeys. And
0: uh, the Instagram?
1: At history, honeys. That's
0: all one word, no underscore, no nothing. All,
1: all one. There you easy. go.
0: Thank you so much, Burren. Kieran uh, writes back. Uh, his favorite, based on a true story film, is The First Great Train Robbery, which is actually based on a Michael Crichton novel based on the event, so it's got a couple stages of adaptation in there. It's a Victorian-era heist movie with Sean Connery climbing on the outside of a a train to, to steal gold being transported from London to the continent to pay the troops fighting in Crimea. Now, in real life, the crooks got away with the gold, and then one of them got caught after he set his house on fire trying to melt it down which is not how the film ends, so we're not sharing spoilers here. (laughs) I've never seen the movie, but I remember reading the book in middle school or, like, ninth grade, maybe?
1: Cool. Yeah. I have not.
0: Okay. (laughs) Now, his favorite local uh, Christmas tradition is the rural Irish Stephen's Day pint. When Christmas comes around, you gotta head back, meet your family, and have all these obligations. But then... The next day, the 26th, St. Stephen's Day, you go out to the bars and share one with all of your old friends from your hometown who are doing the same thing. <laughs> all the pubs and nightclubs are, are packed and everybody's having a great time and, and reconnecting. It's like Facebook, but it's real and drunk. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> sounds like a good time.
0: Also, uh, everybody should look out for Kieran to, on an upcoming episode of the Our Sexual History podcast talking about the historical impact of syphilis.
1: Oh boy, sounds like a fun one. Uh,
0: we'll be sharing that link when it exists and we'll put it in the show notes of the first episode to come out afterwards, which might be this one. I don't know. Check, check the show notes of this. If it's not this one, it'll be next time.
1: Tam sent us an email. Now, this is not Christmas tradition. Oh, you,
0: you mean she's not a Swedish hooligan? No. Okay.
1: But she wanted to share this story, which is actually something that we've already talked about. Yeah. Uh, someone sent this in before. I
0: think it was a the local oddity prompt. Local oddity three, prompt, you're correct. Back.
1: Tam wrote us about the galv goat in Sweden. The straw goat. That people keep burning.
0: It's not meant to be burned. It's
1: not meant to be burned, but they keep burning it. Uh, Now, Tam added on some information that I don't think we got before. There was a special time in 1985 when they surrounded the goat with a metal fence and soldiers, but it's still burned. In 2009, it was guarded by webcams, which were hacked by computer hackers. For several years, it was fireproofed, but also still burned
0: it's made of straw. <laughs> you can only make it so hard.
1: Those are those are some pretty some pretty good facts. Yeah, Think, thanks, Tam. Yeah.
0: Now, Will writes in with a very traditional tradition. Will's grandmother puts coins in the Christmas pudding. Uh,
1: oh, watch where you bite.
0: <laughs> but you know, you get a coin in your slice of pudding, you have good luck. Now, this is an old Uh, uh, tradition where it's usually just one and with one lucky person. Will's grandma is very generous.
1: Tiny bites.
0: Tiny bites. Tiny
1: bites. (laughs) Crack a tooth.
0: But thank you so much, Will. Alright, that's all the letters we have to read for now. Uh Uh-huh. Where can people send these letters, no matter what they contain?
1: So you can send us uh, letters to our email at historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com Mm-hmm. Feel free to drop us a note there about anything you would like to This is our last episode of 2016 yeah. Our next episode will be coming in the new year and let's be honest, 2016's kind of sucked
0: That is a common belief
1: Yeah I see that going been, around It's been rough people.
0: They can only kill Alan Rickman once, alright? The future's looking up know.
1: Maggie Smith can go any day
0: No she can't, she's a cyborg <laughs> I can't
1: handle it So I think what our prompt should be to try to, like, get over this year. I'd love to hear something good from this year. Something good that happened to you, a good event in the world you remember, whatever. Mm -hmm. Something, give us some good history to remember 2016 with.
0: Because after this episode comes out, this year is history. Yes. That's the way it works.
1: Yeah. Hopefully we can get a lot, so it's not quite mm-hmm. so depressing.
0: So again, that's history Podcast at gmail.com. hmm You can also chat with us on Facebook and Instagram we mentioned earlier.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh and Twitter, which Twitter. is just History Honeys all across the board.
1: We we keep it nice and simple. <laughs> Uh, I got a question for you.
0: Sure. What's
1: your favorite holiday tradition?
0: I really like caroling at Cloudgate. I know we don't do it every year.
1: Yeah, we can't do it this year. Schedules
0: and weather, whatever, but the years we do it, I yeah. love it. What is yours, dear?
1: I I have several. I guess I could go with what is happening in my life right now, which is sure. cookie baking. Your cousin. Mhm. So my cousin-in-law now, uh, my <laughs> cousin by marriage, uh, has been doing a huge cookie bake with her friend for like 22 years. And I started going when I joined the family. I've since do that one. And I also now do one with my friend. Mm-hmm. And these these aren't just make so three batches of cookies. This
0: past weekend, which this is the, weekend. the little one. The
1: little cookie bake.
0: You made 1,100.
1: Made 1,100 cookies. The the big one is this weekend, and our normal is like twenty five hundred to three thousand, mm-hmm. like thirty five varieties.
0: So if you're in the area <laughs> and you don't have a nut allergy, you
1: want some cookies.
0: But speaking of wonderful treats you make by hand, mm-hmm. you have an Etsy store.
1: I do that
0: has an active coupon code for our it listeners. Does.
1: So my Etsy shop is called Mad Fuzz. For the rest of the month, I am running a, a code for 16% off. Uh, that's anything on my store. So if you choose to buy something, you can enter the code HH2016 and get 16% off.
0: Fantastic. Yes. I'd like to thank everybody who already has taken advantage of, of the, the yes. holiday code. Thank you. I'd also like to thank everybody who leaves us a rating and review. Uh, if you want to get us a holiday gift, I think that's a pretty good one, and it doesn't cost you a dime.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, they really do help people find the show, and we love to read them. It's You have such kind words. Just imagine the two of us five days from now waking up in our adorable uh, Santa Claus PJs, cup of cocoa, and we go underneath the iTunes tree, and we open up so many fun reviews and ratings. From folks like yourselves. Oh, we'd be so tickled.
1: Aw. Aw. And you'll just wear your Santa hat right here that you're wearing with your Yoda ears.
0: Yeah, I'm adorable. You're
1: adorable. <laughs> he wears this all the time. What else can they do?
0: Well, they can also tell friend. Just word of mouth uh, is the only way we advertise. We- we've got algorithms, but we also have fine folks like yourselves. And
1: you so all know you're going to a lot of holiday parties.
0: Perhaps. Perhaps
1: whether you want to or not
0: (laughs) so while we we wrap up this episode while we wrap up this year Mm -hmm. and sleigh bells are ring ting tingling too i'd like to to wish everybody a wonderful holiday season no matter what or how you celebrate Mm -hmm. we are four days from hanukkah we are five days from christmas at the time of uploading we are six days from kwanzaa
1: but whatever you celebrate or if you don't celebrate, just enjoy
0: But I'd like to thank you for joining us every other week, for chatting with us, for chatting about us, for making us part of your lives. It's been a really good six and a half months. It's
1: I been feel great. Like, I feel like we should be sitting by a fire right now with some cocoa.
0: They don't know we're a not. a blanket. <laughs> we're looking to have another Fantastic Twelve in 2017.
1: Ooh, ooh. There's only one thing left to say. For the last time in 2016. I'm (laughs) Grant. And I'm Elena.
0: And history's better. With with your your honey. honey.